0: Hey y'all, it's Sarah Mel. Thanks for tuning in to Phases of the Womb podcast. This week, we'll be talking to Shanika, who is a former colleague of mine. She's also a nurse practitioner, a doula, and the owner of Labor and Love. This company provides a wide range of maternal child services, including childbirth education, doula support, lactation services, and so much more. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. All right, so I'll have you introduce yourself.
1: Hi, um, I'm Shanika Valcor LaDuff. I am a mom. I'm a family nurse practitioner. I'm a birth worker and
0: advocate, and I'm the founder of Labor and Love. All right. So can you tell us a little more about Labor and Love and how you created that?
1: absolutely so labor and love is my other baby
0: um and we are basically
1: a full service maternal child health and wellness support organization so we do everything from health and wellness services for mom and baby to birth and doula support to Mm -hmm. breastfeeding and postpartum support so basically just trying to be um that channel to ease the the way through motherhood
0: okay i think that's really important because I don't feel like we had well I know when I was here what like five years ago we didn't really have too too much or like something that like encompassed everything um how how do you think um your organization and the support that you've given like I guess has helped with outcomes you know like most people didn't know about doulas i feel like it's becoming like more of a, a a well-known thing now and do you feel like you're seeing like a change in how um people are birthing and how they're being cared for
1: absolutely so it's funny that you say five years ago you didn't remember anything like this being around because we are five years old Ooh. this month <laughs> <laughs> so that's just so funny but so when we started out, it, it was basically like the support groups kind of just talking, didn't really know where the work would go. Mm-hmm. But of course, with the state of maternal child health in mm-hmm. the United States, but more specifically in Louisiana, mm-hmm. work just became more serious yeah. <laughs> um, and we just hit, hit the ground running. And so... Actually, we have been going from just doing the fun groups to actually tracking statistics and data with the work that we're doing. And we have absolutely been seeing differences in not only the birthing outcomes, but the postpartum outcomes, which I think is even more important.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Women
1: are having more empowering experiences overall. Um, They're breastfeeding longer, which is something we need for our moms and our babies, because we also have infant mortality issues in Louisiana. Um, moms are having lower, um, incidence of postpartum depression or mood and anxiety disorders. Um, we are helping to decrease interventions during the labor experience and decrease C-section rates by promoting, you know, all the things that doulas do. So, um, upright movement, hands-on support, helping with those comfort techniques, just having someone with you that entire time throughout that experience of labor mm-hmm. to advocate for you, to support you, you know, to comfort you. And it, it really has been making a
0: difference. That's really beautiful. And it's so needed. I was just talking the other day with um some coworkers because while I'm working on the clinic side right now, um, it's completely different than what like I I usually do with labor and delivery. And I see I don't know what it is about those few minutes just sitting in the office, um, but it I feel like it's becoming more, I don't know if it's, I'm not going to say it's more prevalent. It probably has been a thing, but more people are talking about their experiences with um, depression and anxiety, whether it be intrapartum or um, postpartum. Um, and I feel like that's something, like the resources are lacking like especially in louisiana it's not talked about and like having that um one postpartum visit at six weeks just isn't enough so it's um, not enough no so i like i'm like how do we like what can we do to like you know make sure these things don't happen like what what mm-hmm. Do you provide like postpartum doula support? What what exactly do you do Absolutely. with postpartum?
1: So so postpartum doula support, but also per postpartum health care. Mm-hmm. So as a provider, I, for most of our moms, especially moms that we see through um, different uh, contracts with other organizations to provide mm-hmm. health care services, mm-hmm. they get an in-home visit with me one to two weeks after okay. so that... They get screened for perinatal depression. Mm -hmm. Um, They get checked for any high risk situations like blood pressure, you know, things that that tend to creep up in women once they go home. Mm -hmm. So I do think, I think all moms need that two week visit postpartum. um, And then you can have your six week and then anything in between. And and of course, far after Um, with postpartum depression, it is something that years ago women did not talk about. Okay. So when you had postpartum depression, you felt like something was seriously wrong mm-hmm. and you didn't want to tell people because, of course, you're supposed to be happy. You just had this baby, yeah. this is a blessing, and everybody's telling you, oh, the baby's so beautiful, look what you did. You know, and <sighs> a lot of moms internally don't feel beautiful, at least not all the time. Mm-hmm. And it was something that I went through personally. mm mm-hmm. And so knowing now that more women are being vocal about having postpartum depression or postpartum mood and anxiety disorder, because it's not always just a depressed feeling Mm -hmm. um, and seeking help is so important. Telling your story helps to encourage other women to seek help. So many people just hold it in, Mm
0: -hmm. not
1: knowing that it's something that's actually very common and you can get help
0: with it. Yeah. And I find that's what a lot of people say. Like, I mean, I probably overstep while I'm in clinic. I'm not gonna lie because I really just sit and I just talk to them. We technically just supposed to be doing vitals and doing like a review and sending them to well, ultrasound. We have
1: to overstep. But we I have just to overstep I feel make sure people get what they need, right? And I
0: feel like compelled. Like I will just sit and talk, and like I feel like just even sitting and talking, people feel comfort in that enough to just be like, well, I kind of been feeling like this, and. You know such and such in my family or my partner or whoever is saying like oh it's okay it's a thing it's normal you'll get over it and I feel like that's been the narrative for so long and what I was saying the other day was it's not that I don't like to use the phrase like it's normal it's not that it's normal it's just a lot more prevalent mm-hmm. and you're not the only person that experiences it and you have options right. like you don't have to stay in that you know
1: right it's it's common, not normal. Right, exactly. A lot of things are common, but not normal. Exactly. And it's, it's important that we make those differences. Yep, I agree.
0: <laughs> All right, so um, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, because I get it a lot um, when I tell people I'm a midwife. Um, they ask, like, what's the difference between a midwife and a doula? What would What would your definition of a doula be?
1: <laughs> a doula? And this is an awesome topic because people really don't know the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, a doula is there to support moms, partners, families um, emotionally, physically, and educationally
0: mm-hmm.
1: to advocate for you or prepare you to be an advocate. Mm-hmm. The most important thing I want people to know about doulas is a doula does not provide medical care. A doula is not supposed to be delivering a baby, mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's just not what that's just not what what it is. Yeah. A midwife is a med- I mean, well, you know, but yeah. I'm I'm saying it for the people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a midwife <laughs> is a medical professional who is licensed to treat and diagnose, well, to diagnose and treat mm-hmm. medical conditions to actually deliver a baby. Like they're they're trained, they're licensed. To do that, mm-hmm. um, doulas and midwives work really well together because mm-hmm. a doula is going to be there throughout the duration of whatever prenatal, birth, postpartum, and you see your midwife, you know, yeah. for your appointments, for your your birthing experience, and then after, you know. Yeah. So I think yeah. as a team, they work really well together. Just like a a doula works really well with OBs, mm-hmm. um, or should work really well with OBs, but a doula is not a medical professional. Even when they are. So, like, if I'm working at somebody's doula, mm-hmm. I'm a doula. So, I'm not supposed to be checking your blood pressure. I'm not supposed to be, you know, doing anything medical. Yeah. And I think people need to know those clear lines. Because some doulas do work in the medical field and they may be a doula on the side or something like that. Mm-hmm. But doula work does not include medical care. Beautiful.
0: Because I try to explain and like I can only explain from my perspective and what I've seen and what I know. But as both a medical professional and a doula, I felt like you would have, you know, a better definition than I would. <laughs> right. All right. So um, you do you you provide a uh, pregnancy and birth education?
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Why do you feel like um, that's an important piece? I know why I feel like it, but why do you feel like um, providing that outside of just, you know, regular prenatal visits or, you know, um, just those regular visits? Why do you feel like outside of that labor education and pregnancy education is important?
1: Um, So the visits are great, but they can only do so much. Of course, at the end of the day, you have a room full of patients that you have to see, and it's not realistic for a healthcare provider to spend three hours mm-hmm. educating someone at one sitting, right? Yep. And so that education and preparation prior to giving birth, even sometimes prior to getting pregnant, um, goes a long way. It helps to prepare women to advocate for themselves. You know your body better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um Pregnancy and labor education is there to help you learn what's normal, what's expected versus what's not. Mm-hmm. So that if it's something that's going on, you can know other people who are around you every day can have these um, these signals to, okay, something's changing and it's not what we were taught was normal or expected. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it also helps with going into the birthing process, helps you make the best informed decision um, so that women can be empowered when they go into the birthing experience and even the postpartum experience. If somebody tells you, okay, you can expect to have the baby blues and this does not mean you have postpartum depression, mm-hmm. women would know that. And they would feel a lot a lot better when those first two to three weeks, they start having these emotional ups and downs. Um, you know the saying, when you know better, you do better. Right. <laughs> so that education and just preparing people goes a long way. And it's not just for, for the women, it's for their partners for their families so that
0: we can all work as a community to improve everything. Yeah, and I and that's the that's another thing too. I feel like um something I've heard just over the years like just from support people and partners that they don't feel included. They don't feel like, if they go to the visits, they're included in a conversation or what the, what's expected of them and, you know, whatever. So that when they come into a birthplace, they don't they don't know what to do. They don't know how to advocate for, you know, the birthing person when they're, you know, experiencing, you know, something different than what they expected. They can't step up and advocate for them because they don't know any better. So I, I definitely think it's important to not just educate the Pregnant person Because when they go home postpartum Like if they don't have services From you postpartum And they waiting for their six week visit And they start experiencing symptoms of like Preeclampsia or um, Postpartum psychosis Or something like that And they can't recognize it on their own At least the people around them can be like I feel like they told me That if this this and this happens Maybe I should call somebody You know you have everybody educated Not just like, one person, you tell them a couple things for 15 minutes in a visit, and it's like, you expect people to remember all that? That's not happening. You right. need multiple people right. involved. So. Even
1: with breastfeeding, if you think about, in particular, um, the black community,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I know for myself, I wasn't breastfed. Mm-hmm. And so... Unfortunately, in my case, I didn't do the classes with my families. I was the one educating (laughs) my family on like, this is why I need to do this. And this is what it's supposed to look like. But I knew everybody doesn't know. So I feel like even when you get home with the baby and you're trying this Breastfeeding journey, and you need that support. You need that emotional support. Mm-hmm. You need people to to help you and and know, hey, let's let's move the baby a little bit. Let's let's adjust your latch. Mm-hmm. Your family should know a little bit of something about what's going on, because they're going to be the ones with you when you're going through this moment. So I encourage. Pregnancy um, education, labor and birth, and then also postpartum and breastfeeding. Like mm-hmm. you can get this education and prepare so that you know this is, may not be the easiest journey. Just for those couple weeks, mm-hmm. but once we get over those hurdles, it's gonna be it's gonna be just fine. Yeah. You just need that support, stay committed, and you need people around
0: you who are gonna um, feed to that. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the. I mean, education is like the thing that makes or breaks. I feel like most of these situations, because you can sit there like for me, for example, I'm with somebody two hours postpartum, like as a labor nurse. And, you know, I can tell you like, you know, this is normal. This is normal. And then when you do this, this can happen, whatever. And then you go home and it's like, but I don't know what happens next. And I don't feel like you eating enough. So I, I quit. You know, and you don't have mm-hmm. you don't have anybody else like reinforcing anything. You just you just right. don't know anybody. And you like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. My mama didn't breastfeed me, she don't not help me. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's just I don't know. I just feel like education is like the big thing for me right now. Like with really everything, is. all aspects of just pregnancy, labor, postpartum, all of that. But um Yeah, let me see. So, to switch gears, um, I know you have a kid. I was wondering, were you already working um, in labor and delivery when you had her?
1: Yes. Okay, <laughs> sorry.
0: <laughs> um,
1: I worked in labor and delivery for about five plus years before I had her. Okay. Um, So, of course, I was an expert. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, This is what I do. Um, I help women. I support women. So, yeah, I felt like I got this. I don't need. And that's why I said I didn't do any classes or or even anything with my husband or my family Mm -hmm. because I felt like, why why do I need somebody else to teach us when I teach people? Like, this is what I do. So I'm going to I got this that was so wrong <laughs> that was probably the worst the worst decision ever because mm-hmm. not only did i need that extra support i feel like my husband could have used a little third party you know outsider yeah. Yeah. to give him a different perspective mm-hmm. to support me my family could have used a little bit of different education as well mm-hmm. and so um i also did not seek a doula or other support Mm -hmm. because I felt like, again, this is what I do. I support women, you know, I help them through this. So why would I need someone to help me? That was wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, working in labor and delivery for years before, um, it also just made me feel like although I was experiencing my pregnancy Mm -hmm. and it was rough, I was experiencing a rough pregnancy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, I knew too much. And I tried to be so much. So I was having this inward experience, but I was also looking at it with an outward lens, you know, like I was the supporter or the provider for myself. Right. And that was just it, it just it wasn't a good thing.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, if I could go back, I would definitely do all the things, the classes. I would absolutely have a doula. Um, I think every woman in the world deserves a doula. I cannot wait until that's a reality that everyone gets a doula. Yeah. Um, but yeah, my biggest mistake was not seeking additional support.
0: Okay. Yeah, I I think about that like when I'm at work sometimes, and like you know while I was in, especially while I was in school, I'm like you know whenever, if ever my time comes to have kids. I'm, I feel like I'm gonna be a basket case because I'm gonna be thinking about like, all right, so I know this could happen. Do I have this? Do I have to do this? Well, why didn't they do this? Like, should you do this? Or like, if if um, I had already told myself if, I don't know, you know, I never had a contraction before in my life, but in my mind, I could deliver at a birth center in my mind. So I'm like, if I deliver at a hospital, I'm gonna be so stressed about the monitor. I'm gonna be watching everything. i 'cause I'm gonna be like, why are we having D cells? What are we doing? Um uh, Exactly. <laughs> but exactly. I feel like I feel like it's so hard, like to I feel like, you know, to get out of that space when you are an expert in your field, but then you're experiencing what you teach people about and what you do pretty much every mm-hmm. day. I feel like it's so hard to get out of that. Oh, uh, That's that's one aspect I cannot I can't tell you how to do that because I couldn't do it myself. (laughs) But I do think,
1: I think you would do great birthing at a birthing center and I would be there for
0: it. I appreciate that. Of course I would. (laughs) (laughs) In my mind, I'm telling you, in my mind, I say it all the time. I'm like, I think I could do it. You know, I never had a contraction, but I feel like if, if you know, I prepared myself adequately, I feel like that would be the least, what word do I want to use? I feel like the least anxious situation I could be in. I feel like if I'm at a hospital, I'm gonna lose it. Like I know, t- I see too much. I know too much. I I just can't.
1: <laughs> so you absolutely could get through contraction. It's mind over matter. Mm-hmm. And when you prepare, you know that. And I mean, not preparing as a midwife. Yeah, <laughs> not preparing as a labor and delivering. <laughs> when you prepare to be the mother who's in labor, mm-hmm. and you are taught, and your support is there to remind you, get through one contraction at a time. Mm-hmm. It's only going to last about what forty to sixty seconds,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it's not bad the whole time. Yeah, when you have that support, and you are mentally prepared, which is key. Yeah, you can absolutely do it. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people just don't know what to expect. A lot of people go into it with this fear aspect because you have you see stuff on social mm-hmm. media. your family's telling you, oh Lord, those contractions are gonna feel oh, oh no, you you need some medicine. you mm-hmm. can't do that mm-hmm. and and so many women go into it with fear, but this is what your body's made to do. yeah I you
0: agree. know and
1: yeah. it's beautiful. <laughs> it's really beautiful. I
0: mean, you know, I'm a
1: birth nerd. I just
0: love, I love it all. Same. Same. Um, I think, too, like, I forgot who I was talking to about this recently. But um, the fear aspect of it, like, just thinking about the fact that they didn't start using um, epidurals for birth, like, Like recently, like with like in what, the 19, I want to say 50s or 60s or something like that is when they started using them. Like there was no, there was like no, you delivered at home or, you know, wherever without an epidural. There was- In a
1: field. Yeah.
0: And there wasn't that fear because it's just like, that's just what I got to do, you know? But I feel like now it's just, you see so much stuff. (laughs) I've- I'm not that old, but sometimes I'll be feeling old when these people come in like, I saw this thing on TikTok. I'll never forget the first time somebody told me, well, I saw this thing on TikTok and they said that. I was like, what is TikTok? <laughs> what are we looking at now? It's not just Google. <laughs> like, you didn't Google this TikTok told you this. And they're like, yeah, they said this could happen and this could happen. I feel like everything, we have so much access to everything now. It just, I feel like instills mm-hmm. so much fear in people. Um, Mm -hmm. And and we forget, like, I mean, it's a natural process that's been happening since the beginning of time. Like, you can do it. Things happen and you roll with it. But for the most part, most of these situations are normal and you can deliver Mm -hmm. normally, you know?
1: What you're saying about TikTok and all the access to information reminds me of... (laughs) When people say, you know, like teenagers, when they don't know anything about sex and, mm-hmm. you know, things. And instead of going to the right source to get the information, they mm-hmm. get it from social media, Google, their friends. Yeah. And they get this information overload mm-hmm. and they still don't know what they're doing yep. because they didn't go through the proper channels. And it's the same thing. I mean, TikTok, I don't I don't have a TikTok because um, I just don't have time. <laughs> I, I feel like it would be very consuming yeah. but you know I'm on Instagram and you know things like that and I, I see some of the things that are out some information is very good and reputable mm-hmm. but some of the stuff is like child. Yeah, <laughs> you need to talk to a professional mm-hmm. because you may be being steered in the wrong direction mm-hmm. um, and whatever is right for you is right for you but make an informed decision have it, have it educated and, and have it stand on some science or something real
0: yeah Cause I've gotten, (laughs) I have friends like I've for years, I'll have friends that are pregnant or people that I I don't even talk to, but like know either through social media or through friends that are like message me and they're like, I saw this post and this is what they said. Like, what do you think about this? and i mean some stuff is like amazing but some stuff i'm just like Mm -hmm. where did you get that from like what like that's not that's not true like where do people get these things from but i feel like that's also like um i tell people it's like it's like google reviews like when you when you start looking up stuff or people start giving their opinions on stuff most things that people are giving are really good or really bad the things that are like most common and most normal that happen more often than not most people don't talk about but you're gonna get something that's like super exaggerated either on the good end or the bad end and I'm like right you know not saying that you know either or could be you know wrong but I'm just saying like just be cautious about you know what you learn and verify what like a reputable source because people just be people get a platform people just be talking and i'm like where did you get this stuff from
1: (laughs) and people listen and when people listen
0: Mm -hmm. they keep
1: talking and it's like
0: no Mm -hmm. (laughs) yep because i mean and i i i understand the The fear, especially within like the black community and people of color with um, medical institutions. I get that. And Uh I feel like it's real easy for, you know, people to take one thing and kind of go off on the deep end because it's like, we already don't trust X, Y, and Z. So don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do none of that. You know what I'm saying? And I feel like sometimes people just put themselves in unsafe positions just, you know, instead of. Learning the right way to do stuff, like navigating the system, the best way to get, you know, the best support and the best outcomes you can.
1: Right. They need to, so the education for mom, partner, family, grandma, whoever, whoever's going to be there. Mm -hmm. um, But then also research your providers. Yeah. Too many people go to providers that they don't even have a relationship with. Mm Mm-hmm. This person is taking care of you during the most one of the one of the most intimate times of your life, one of the most beautiful times of your life. And mm-hmm. if there's no connection with you and the provider, you, you you don't even care for your provider. You don't feel like like their provider cares for you. Mm-hmm. You need to get somebody else. Yeah. Um, I think women need to and this is part of their pre pregnancy education or or even early pregnancy education. Mm-hmm. Um, seek providers who whose values align with yours because not everybody's for everybody and that's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, If you meet with somebody or even if you have a few visits and you don't click or this person is not supporting uh, what you think you want for your labor experience, you're saying you want a doula, they make a face. You're saying you don't want medication, but they keep talking to you about getting the epidural Mm -hmm. and you're only 23 weeks pregnant. Mm -hmm. We need to start looking at somebody else because at the end of the day, it's an entire team, and that team starts with mom. Yep. But it also, you know, includes the health care provider, the OB, the midwife, her family, the nurses, the doula. Mm-hmm. Everybody should have the same goal. And so, if anybody on that team steers away from that goal or doesn't seem like they're working towards the goal for the mom, mm-hmm. then we need to 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 change the team. <laughs>
0: Agreed. I just think people don't realize that. I think I think with I don't know if it's just medical care in general. Some people just, just relinquish control. Mm-hmm. It's just like they, they they, do, they're they yeah. not aware of their bodies enough and don't have, I don't know what it, I really can't. I don't even
1: think, I don't think it's that they're unaware of their bodies. I think they just feel like they're supposed to trust the yeah. doctor. Yeah, And, you know, I've had, I've had, moms having baby number three mm-hmm. and they finally you know, come to an education class or maybe it's a community class that we're doing because we do those just to kind of like reach everybody we can reach. Um, I've had moms having multiple babies. Uh, in particular, I remember this one lady who was having her third baby mm-hmm. and we're talking about birth preferences and birth planning and what your options are, and how to select what you want. And she said, when did that start?
0: Hmm.
1: I I was like, when did it start? When did it start that you can say what you want? I told Mm her, oh, this is your body. You can always educate it. (laughs) You can be educated and accept or decline anything. As long as you and your baby are safe, you are actually the one in control. And so many people just feel like, oh, the doctor told me to take these pills. Mm -hmm, I don't know what they are, but mm -hmm. I'm going to take them, or or I'm not going to take them you know, if they don't have that education
0: and that support behind it. And I I feel like that's a big thing. Like even in even in clinic, like I said, I, you know, technically I'm only supposed to be with these people 5 minutes. It don't it don't happen for me. It just doesn't. But like you'll see like they have a history of preeclampsia, they might have chronic hypertension. They were prescribed baby aspirin and like when you talk to them and ask them like, you know, what are you taking? And they'll say like, "Oh, they want me to take aspirin, but I'm not taking that cuz that's a blood thinner." And I'm just like, Why did they tell you to take it? They didn't tell me why. They just told me to go pick it up. And then you sit there and kind of explain the rationale behind it. Like, oh... I didn't know that. Okay, I'll take it. Mm -hmm. And it's just like when people understand why, you know, people are more. I don't like that whole non-compliant thing. you do better, you do better. Yeah, I hate that whole non-compliant mess. Like I honestly honestly do because I feel like 90% of the time it's because you haven't sat there and explained why your recommended stuff and what other options they have. It's just like do this. And -hmm. they're like, I'm not doing it. And then there's no, there's no no conversation about why they won't do it. It's just like, well, I said do this. They don't want to do this, so they're not compliant. Like, no, because then you label that person and now people going to think they just, you know, they don't want to do nothing. When it's right. up, uh, most of that stuff can be fixed with, like, education. That's it. Like, education. that's it. And just knowing you have preferences. Like, and <clears throat> just on, like, the choosing provider thing, I had a friend who delivered, when did she deliver, last year, year before last, and her first baby was a C-section, um, it sounds like one of those, we're going to do an induction if you're not delivered in a certain amount of time, we're going to call it failure to progress and we're going to section you, that's what it sounded like to me, but mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. So she's now a nurse. She doesn't work in labor and delivery, but she's now a nurse. She got pregnant with her second child. And um, she was telling me when she first found out she was pregnant, you know, she wanted to try to v you know. Whatever. I was like, go for it. You know, it doesn't sound like there was any, you know, reason why you shouldn't be able to attempt a VBAC. Like, I don't I don't see, you know, just from what you told me, it doesn't sound like, you know, whatever. And she goes to her same provider who had sectioned her before and was told, oh no, um, I don't do VBACs because your uterus gonna rupture and you and your baby gonna die. And I was like, uh-uh, uh Like that, that irritates me. So she came and t- told me that she like eight, 10, eight, to 10 weeks or something like that. She early, that's like her first visit. And um, I'm like, you know, you could change providers. Like you can look up providers yeah. that <laughs> you know will That's do. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, you can you can do that. And she was like, like I can just switch. And I was like, yeah, it's it's your pregnancy. It's your, right. It's like, your
1: it's your body. Exactly. It's your baby, and it's your experience. Exactly. So of course. We're gonna have to talk offline about this because I want to know who that provider was. Oh, it's not here. Women... It's not. It's not in this oh, state. Oh. It's not here. <laughs> okay. I've had women. I've had women tell me that they were going for a VBAC with with the same provider who did their previous section, mm-hmm. who knew they were going, who wanted, who knew they wanted to do a VBAC, mm-hmm. and seemed like they support the VBAC. And then when when it comes down to term, starts talking about scheduling a C section. Yep. And it's like, wait, what happened to... Sorry, y'all, my baby's coughing in the background. <laughs> um, it's like, what happened to all these conversations we were having before mm-hmm. when you you said you were four and be back, but now that I'm 36 weeks, you want to start talking about scheduling a C-section right. in two weeks, you know? Yeah. Um, and even when you have rights, I mean, people don't people just don't realize that you always have a same. Yeah,
0: exactly. And and like the same girl, she literally found a provider in the same group who specialized in taking all of the Vbac clients because she mm-hmm. wanted to support Vbacs. She Vbac, she went into labor and delivered on her due date. Like with no like no induction, nothing. She just went into labor, delivered vaginally, no complications. On her due date. And she was like, you know, I felt great because I just wanted that opportunity. I didn't feel like I had that opportunity before. And, you know, I just wanted the opportunity. And she was like, yeah, honestly, I would not have gotten that opportunity if I didn't know I could switch providers. And I'm like, right. it, it's, it's your experience. Like. Yours. You can you can fire a provider. You can you can do whatever you want. Honestly, I tell people that all the time. Especially like in labor, if I'm their nurse, like I tell them, like, what do you? What is it that you want out of this? You know what? What is your priority? Um, Because I I feel like I don't get a lot. You
1: can fire.
0: I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt you. You Uh
1: can fire a provider. You can fire a nurse. Yeah, exactly. If you're in that hospital and you feel like you are not being taken care of the way you need to be taken care of
0: mm-hmm.
1: you can ask for somebody else and it's well within people your need rights. to really know their rights
0: yeah that's the papers they sign when they check in your patient rights, yeah it's on there and i'm like people don't realize like if you you have to set the tone you i feel like it was always a thing like when i first when i first started labor and delivery. Um, we, me and my preceptor would get a lot of the midwife patients who had the um, birth plans. Mm-hmm. My preceptor was all for it. So it never made sense to me, the conversations that would happen on the unit, like, oh yeah, they got a birth plan, they end up in a C-section. I'm like, why are y'all so against people having preferences for their birth? Right. You get what I'm saying? Um right. And I just, I feel like, That whole narrative needs to change. Like, and it's so different in the South. Like, I feel like it's so hard. Um, Mind you, I haven't worked in labor and delivery in Louisiana in a couple years. But, like, working in Texas and then the experiences out here in, like, Florida and stuff like that. I feel like it's so hard to change the narrative about birthing naturally or just Mm -hmm. birth preferences because people just think like this is my job this is what the doctor want this is what I'm going to tell you to do this is how we going to get here and if you want to do all these preferences it's going to interfere with my job too much and I'm like people forget like it's not about about you you. yes It's not about you. It's not oh, all in it. That's it, the it biggest thing, it. and
1: I, I think so. That's something that we just unfortunately we probably can't touch that for a long time. Mm-hmm. The the mindset of the people who are caring for the people yeah. because you're either that type of person or you're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can do all the the trainings, and mm-hmm. you know. I don't know. I can I can talk to my ears and my lips <laughs> fall off <laughs> about that. But when you're doing this sort of work, it's not about you. Yeah. This is when you, it, it's all about the mom. I'm sorry. And it you is. you know, I mean, we've, we've worked together mm-hmm. a long time ago, mm-hmm. but we've worked together. So you, you know how I am and yeah. I know how you are. Mm-hmm. It's all about that patient yeah. and making her experience the best experience, no matter what you have to do. Yep.
0: You're at work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're at work. <laughs> do whatever you need to do. I'm not gonna lie to you, one of my most amazing experiences as a labor nurse was last year. I was working in Seattle and my preceptor for a shift, um, I think mind you, I'm in I'm in Washington. So Washington is very different than Louisiana. I get that. Um, so I go in with the preceptor whatever, and she, we got report and this is what was said. And you can tell when it's not a nurse, a part of that, uh, staff, like if they're a traveler, if they're contract, you can tell because typically that whole unit has a similar mindset about birth. Um, so I go in, I go in with my preceptor. And she, because uh, the the nurse gave, gave us a report, was like, yeah, she's been, I think she was eight centimeters. She had been eight centimeters for a while. She's probably going to end up a section. I hate getting reports like that because I'm going to just try to prove you wrong. Because, sis, don't do that. Don't mm-hmm. set nobody up. You don't know. You don't know. Don't do that. Right. Um, my preceptor right. went in and... Talk to, like sat down and talk to her, her and her husband. Like, you know, what what is it that you want to do? What is it that you've tried? Are you open to trying X, Y, and Z? I will be in this room with you until you deliver. We will stay in this room and do whatever we have to do until you deliver, if that's what you want to do. How are you doing? What do you want to do? Um, patient was like, I want to deliver vaginally. I don't want to get a section. I'll do whatever you want me to do. Um they they use spinning babies and bundle birth positions like it's bible like it's in their epic system under position changes like their position changes has like 25 plus position changes you can choose from um, she went in and was doing sideline release, and um she's a yoga instructor, so she was doing some yoga in between contractions, and I was just sitting there, and I was like, You are amazing, like just taking the time like we spent at the beginning of the shift, we spent maybe two hours in the room, like not just going in and doing a blood pressure and going sit at the desk. We spent like Mm -hmm. two hours solid in the room. She delivered. She delivered vaginally, just how she wanted. And I'm like, it's the, I feel like a lot of that culture on these labor um, units, um, they're training people to be in that culture. So you get a lot of new nurses talking about, well, I'm not doing this and I'm not doing this because they're going to get a section whatever, or the opposite end of the spectrum like this unit I worked on, they're all required to go to spinning babies. They're all required to learn how to do um, different natural techniques. They're required to know how to use the um, wireless monitors and to get people in the shower and to do intermittent monitoring and all the things like all the things to get people to deliver vaginally like their their section rate was almost non-existent almost non-existent and i'm like it makes a difference because who's Mm -hmm. who's teaching you who is speaking around you you know what are they saying and what's the what's the consensus on this unit you know and i just think that makes makes a big difference and i know it's a a big thing to tackle that's not gonna change overnight. And I know the South always, you know, lagging behind everybody else. But I feel like I've seen, I've seen a small shift. And I feel like it's trying, it's trying to catch on. Just from talking to like my friends who have had babies over the past couple years. um, Just the narrative around different things are starting to change. So. I love it. I'm hopeful.
1: Sounds so beautiful. (laughs)
0: I'm hopeful, <laughs> but um, do you have anything you want to ask me? Because that's all I have.
1: Um, I did want to add something to to what we yeah. talked about a little bit earlier yeah. when we we talked about what doulas do. Yeah, I said doulas do not deliver babies. Uh, something else I wanted to say about doula work is, mm. people a lot of people think or even used to think. Doula's were only for women who wanted unmedicated home births. Yes, that is not the case. Doula's are for everyone. So mm-hmm. doulas can come into hospitals. If you get an epidural, you can mm-hmm. also still have a doula support because you still need it. Women who have C sections. I mean, doula's doula's are really here to support all sorts of birth, mm-hmm. every sort of birth. Mm-hmm. Um, questions i have for you i mean of course i want to know more about
0: washington because that just sounds so amazing it was um it was different it was very different but i think also i have to you know with money and privilege comes a lot of things it was a private hospital in a um an area that's pretty rich ish or well off, Mm -hmm. Um, so they have resources, they have um, just, I don't know, I feel like the mindset is just different there, but I will also, I will also say, um, I had one black patient in the six months I was there. So, you, wow. like, that's, you know, you got to put that in perspective, too. It's just like, you know, what's your population? Who's funding what? Who's paying what? And that's probably why there are a lot more resources. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, right. But, I mean, regardless, overall, that experience was very, very rewarding. Just seeing how the providers were so patient, Um, they were not, I probably, I probably did one or two sections while I was there, maybe. Um, They're very patient. I also feel like I get a little leeway because I work night shift. You know, most providers ain't trying to get up and come section Mm -hmm. people in the middle of the night. So You know, I get a little leeway with like the amount of time I get to like move people around and do this and do that and do this and do that. And I think I don't know um, if the providers had to do any fetal heart monitoring training, but I will say I feel like I feel like (laughs) I feel like working and I'm going to say I'm going to say Texas just because I have been in Texas. More often than not, over the past like three or four years, I feel like there you get a lot of like you know she's having late's and blah 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 whatever. And for me as a traveler, I'm required to have um fetal heart monitoring certification to work at these hospitals. Um, so Everybody I is right. No, a lot of places don't require it. Um, but I oh. know California for sure. Um, if you have to go to their hospitals, it's required. Um. Texas some of the hospitals require it so it's like you know I know I like sat there and learned about fetal heart monitoring on multiple occasions and I'm like you know I'm telling you this is what's happening we having recurring lates and you know whatever and you get a lot of pushback that's not really a late that's more like a that's more like a variable and it's like but it's not you know but I feel like when I was working in Washington, I didn't get a lot of pushback like that. It's like, okay, come show me what you're saying. What do you think? And like, yeah, I see what you're saying. Well, maybe we should try this. Maybe we should try this position. Maybe we should try the Versus like, that's not what's happening. Keep going up on the pit. Like, it's, it's, it was very different. <laughs> it's just very different. Mm-hmm. Just the culture there is very different. Even California. Some places in California um, are pretty similar um, I just find the West coast is different there. Yeah,
1: so we actually have a team member who came from California mm-hmm. and when she tells us about it, I'm like, this sounds like a dream. Oh, literally. So <laughs> something I love about you is that you got that opportunity to travel. Yeah. Um, besides the West coast, if you could say, and I mean, I don't know if you can see, mm-hmm. so if you can't just let me know, mm-hmm. but like besides here what would you say is like the best versus the i don't want to say the worst I
0: mean, where yeah. would you say
1: <laughs> is most open besides what you've already mentioned to like all the things for birthing women mm-hmm. versus those with really limited where can we do better let me put it that way like here where can we do better what you mean sorry like of all the places you've traveled mm-hmm. Like... which places regions <laughs> besides i know here we we're working to improve we, we already know what the rates are yeah um in our state and so that's that's something that we are literally boots on the ground mm-hmm. working to improve these things but what other areas should we look to for guidance where would you say, okay this place besides Washington, I know Mm -hmm. you you mentioned that Mm -hmm. California sounds like a dream as well, Mm -hmm. but like, where should we be looking to? And I I mean, resources aside, funding resources, if Mm -hmm. we could, what would you say would be?
0: I think, um, I mean, honestly, I feel like those, those two were, Washington and California for me, were the standard. Um, I did work in Hawaii um, this fall, and what I found with them in the West Coast or whatever is that they're <clears throat> they're much more likely to um, allow patients to come in laboring. That's a big thing. I feel like here that was different here and in like texas and stuff like that i feel like it was it was different where where i feel like working here everybody was getting induced like it was i feel like people were coming and stopping and dropping like you know without being induced but most of the time people were getting induced and that's how i feel like we ended up in a lot of sections i feel like on like on the west coast it was people coming in 40 41 weeks active labor six seven centimeters either they wanted epidural or they didn't they came in and delivered and I, I i mean and i might be going off track but i feel like that time makes a difference too like yeah. you don't have as much time to start implementing all those interventions um because they coming in they coming in hot they ready you know yeah so and that's,
1: that's beautiful yeah and I, I always try to encourage women especially those who say I'm, I don't want the epidural or mm-hmm. I want to see how long I can go without it. Are you healthy? Is your baby healthy? Are there any concerns about your pregnancy? Mm-hmm. Well, let's labor at home. Mm-hmm. Let's labor at home until yep. you feel like you need to go in. Yep. Just because we have contractions doesn't mean you need to be in the hospital exactly. being monitored.
0: Exactly. Like, oh, we had this provider. And funny, he went to LSU. He was in uh, Washington with me. Um, he was infamous for... <laughs> Most well, most of the providers they were not admitting primips, like people who um, it was their first first baby. They were not admitting them <laughs> until they were like six centimeters. It's not a thing. If you don't have any complications going on, and you know you are contracting, but you three four centimeters, he gonna give you some cocktail that's gonna make you go to sleep. He's gonna sing you home. You gonna come back six, seven centimeters. Like they're like not, it. they're not admitting you. They're not like it was. It, especially him when he was on call, baby. You had to know you were not getting admitted. You had to be coming in, pushing a baby out. Like, he like I I'm would not. Say so. Me too. Me too. Because it, it. I mean, like I said, the less time. Like I don't think people. It doesn't matter how many good providers you put in a facility the longer you're there the more likely interventions are going to happen the longer you end up on this monitor the more likely you're going to end up with a heart rate dropping excuse me <clears throat> a heart rate dropping and then it's like dang okay we saw that so what do we do now you know what i'm saying like it's just it starts it starts snowballing real quick and i i mean i tell i tell people like especially when i was in clinical People who didn't want to epidural because where I did clinical, they did a lot of um, the midwives did a lot of tub deliveries. Um, and the conversation was like, if that's what you want to do, um, labor at home, then come in. Don't don't come yes. in and want to sit on the monitor and whatever, because I mean, while where I did clinical, they were actually I will say the way they operate there. I was very surprised with it being Louisiana. I I, I, I will say that. Um, the midwives pretty much ran the unit. So you weren't, you were not, I know from the midwives, we were not having 39 week inductions. It wasn't a thing. We, I remember I had a girl, she was young too. She was mad at me every week from 37 weeks because she wanted to be induced. And I'm like, no, for what? For what? You know, like she got induced, I want to say at 41 weeks and her her induction was like eight hours. And I'm like, do you see what the difference is, though? Like if we induced you at 39 weeks, your induction was going to be three days because you weren't ready. Your body kind of already started getting itself together. So when we induced you, you're not here for three days. The longer you here, the more likely things are going to happen. You know, so I don't know. That time was a big thing for me, too. That that was that was a big thing. They was like when they first told me that, like you could see people coming in, you could see their contractions and triage on the monitor while you sit at the desk. And I'm like, oh, I guess they're getting admitted. And then you'll see they three or four centimeters. And they say, like, recheck in an hour. Um, Recheck. They still they might be four, four and a half. And they're like, oh, no, he going to send them home. I was like, what? It was like a foreign concept to me. I was like, what do you mean? Go send her home. And they're like, if they live close, which most of them do, they could come back. They, they're they not staying. For what? Like, no. They don't need to be here. He going to give them something. They're going to go to sleep and they're going to come back. And I was like, oh, well, that's beautiful. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> I'm telling you, the West that's Coast, they, they got it going. I'm telling you. I mean, they obviously, there's always places that's not... Um, up to par but the place I've been privileged enough to work some places that are just amazing and I've learned so much like so much so yeah I don't know I don't even know if I answered your question
1: well so I think you did but I'm just
0: I'm enjoying all of this Yeah, same. <laughs> same i mean i don't know one of the things too I, i'll i never forget because you you know how it was working when we worked and mm-hmm. getting an actual uninterrupted break not having to watch monitors was pretty much non-existent so um when i'm
1: gonna say why didn't you do that <laughs> girl
0: i'm about to t- i'm about to say t- i took my that first no my first assignment in california how long was i It was, I had been out, I had left here maybe a year after. I I had still been working in Louisiana and Texas where you pretty much don't get breaks and you always end up in sections. It's a thing. Well, then I go to California. I was working four, what was I working? Four eight-hour shifts a week, right? I would get there. I'll never forget this. I got there at 11 p.m. They came to me at midnight and was like, hey, you ready to take your break? I was like, no, it's 11 o'clock. Like, why would I take my break now? And they're like, you have three breaks. Like, you have to take, you know, a break before one. You have to take your lunch. And then you have to take another break before you leave. And I was like, what? Like, what are you <laughs> What are you talking about? And they're like, you get two 15-minute breaks and a 30-minute break. They had break nurses like they i like I, when i tell you i was so i was so shocked they had two charge nurses at all times two resource nurses at all times that pretty much if something was happening um they're your go-to person, they're going to come in your room, they're going to do stuff with you. If you have a delivery, they're handling your medicines, they're handling the table. You pretty much just charting and helping the patient. Like you don't do anything. Then they tell me, "Oh, we have we always have two break nurses staff." I was like, "What is a break nurse?" They're like, "They're literally just there to make sure everybody takes their breaks." And while you're oh, wow. taking their break, like I've had people be like, do you want to push break? Like I'll be pushing with somebody for like two hours or something. And they're like, I'll give them a push break and I'll chart and I'll push with them. Don't worry about it. Go enjoy your lunch. And I'm like, is this heaven? Because I've never in my life, never in my life as a nurse, have, like what break nurses? Like, it's amazing and they get fined a lot amazing. of, even in Washington, the, a lot of the, like, you're required to take, I think, I think you get like three 15s and a 30. Um, I know California uh, has unions. Are there yeah. unions in Washington? Yeah, 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 exactly. Oh, and that, why. and that's the difference. <laughs> that's the difference. These unions make a difference because if, if you're not taking your breaks, oh, you get to charge them and they get, they get in trouble. Like, they have to pay you, I think, time and a half for whatever time you couldn't take. Um, I'm thinking back. The only time I remember being at
1: work and not watching monitors Mm -hmm. was when I was pumping. Yeah. Because in the lactation room, there were no monitors to watch. And I mean, I had to take that time to feed my baby. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, you know, you're eating, you're watching those monitors. Something happens with your child. I mean, your child. (laughs) Your child, too. But something happens with your patient. Uh You drop your food, run out, go take care of your patient. Maybe come back and finish your lunch. Maybe not. (laughs)
0: Like when I, it was, it was just, I just couldn't believe it I honestly couldn't believe it And I was just like So basically you're telling me That it doesn't have to be like this And I think that's why It's been so hard for me To come back down here And take an assignment Because I know Like I know what I'm gonna get here You know what I'm saying I'm like mm. Could I thug it out for a couple months? Sure I could mm. But at the same time It don't have to be like that And we get paid significantly less here <laughs> Like it doesn't make sense, like we get paid, like I was getting paid three or four times what I was getting paid when I was working here, and was able to work an eight hour shift and take three breaks and not feel like I wanna cry at the end of a shift, like Aww. it was it was so different, it was so different, yeah, but I feel like I feel like it could happen, it could happen, we just gotta get more people like on board with everything. Um, I feel like if If patients And their family members Are more educated And advocating for themselves Then I mean the system has no choice But to to make a change Because if the vast majority Is requiring X, Y, and Z In order I mean you know I know these medical systems Run on money If you're not trying to lose your money You're going to make accommodations You're going to make accommodations regardless Like you're going to have to So yeah. <laughs> I love it. So all right, y'all. That was this week's episode. I hope y'all enjoyed it as much as I did recording it. If you have any comments, concerns, anything you want to talk about, anything you haven't heard and wanna hear, be sure to follow me on Instagram at underscore phases P H A S E S of the womb W-O-M-B You can send me an email At phases Of Womb At gmail.com And also if you want to follow Shanika's page Labor and Love You can go on Instagram And go to At Labor L-A-B-O-R Underscore And underscore love, L-O-V-E. Thanks for listening. See y'all next time. Bye.